1. Oh, well, all right. Tip it over this way. I can't think of a, a better title of a message this morning after all we've just seen already this morning. The title of my message this morning is Christmas is About Family. Uh, if you need a Bible, just raise your hand and we'll get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Luke chapter 1. We're going to jump all over Luke chapter 1, so uh, you'll see as we come along. But uh, let's have a word of prayer together. Father, thank you for this privilege that we have to meet with you this morning. Thank you for the program that the kids put on, for the work that they did, Lord, and just for just blessing them. Lord, they, they have the knowledge of your word. They have the knowledge of you at even this young age, Lord, and we thank you for that. We thank you for this time, Lord. We thank you for... Um, the lungs that these little children have. <laughs> and Lord, thank you for uh, just blessing our time. Uh, bless your word as we look to it. We commit to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are almost there. We are almost to Christmas. A couple days away, we're going to get together as family members. I am so blessed this year. My whole family is here. I mean, my son, Christopher, from he's at station in Okinawa uh, in the Navy He's out here, and then, uh, uh, you know, my son Matthew, the Marine, is here, and, and uh, uh, he's serving in Washington, D.C., and he's home for Christmas, and Annie and Calvin, they're up, stationed up in Fort Leonardwood, Calvin's in the Army, and they're coming to our house for Christmas, and little, uh, you know, uh, Natalie and Joey are just, it's awesome that they, they're a part of our family, they're going to be here for Christmas, and I'm truly, truly blessed with these, you know, little ones, Madeline, Aubrey and Finley. I absolutely love being a papa. It is absolutely amazing. So when we include Elena, sweet Elena, Matthew's girlfriend, Lisa and myself, we have 14 people home at Christmas time at our house. That's awesome. Damn, oh, I forgot. I had them all lined out here. Right? They did Dan and Laura, my new son-in-law, Dan. <laughs> I am history now. <laughs> Thought I was in trouble before. Man. <laughs> Lisa's pointing and pointing and I'm thinking, I'll say, I'll get Elaine, I'll get Elaine. I didn't even think about Dan and Laura. I tell you, having everyone home at Christmas can be a little stressful. I'm just saying. It's awesome. It's a little stressful. And maybe you go through it as well. Maybe you're... You're going to spend time with, with family members. You know, and, and, and it can be stressful because we all have weird families, right? We all do. We have that strange aunt, that, that obnoxious uncle, that twisted cousin, and, and grandpa's getting crazier each year. Add to the fact that maybe, you know, your parents are divorced, and so now you're making the rounds for Christmas. You have to go visit mom and her new husband and, and dad and his new girlfriend and all these half-brothers and sisters that you, you didn't know that you suddenly have. It can be a pretty stressful time. And then if you're having people all over to your home, 
man, you got to get the house prepared. You got to get the rooms ready. It can be stressful time as well. So I found a solution for you. It's in a song that I found. It goes to the tune of Santa Claus is coming to town. It's called Your Relatives Are Coming to Town. Well, you better give up on Christmas this year. You're having a chance with everyone here. Your relatives are coming to town. They're bringing their kids to add to your fun. Staying ten days, you thought it was one. Your relatives are coming to town. They'll monopolize your bathroom and take your solitude. They'll eat you out of house and home and complain about your food. There's only one way to save you, Noel. Give them your home and rent a motel. Your relatives are coming to town. <laughs> Do you know the very first Christmas card written in, in 1843, created in 1843 by a man by the name of John Calcott Horsley? It was a three by five card and consisted of three panels. Here's a picture of it. The left panel depicted a man feeding the hungry. The right panel pictures a woman clothing the poor. But in the middle of this card, the center panel, the card's focal point, is a family. There's actually three generations in the picture. Kids, parents, and grandparents. The very center of the first Christmas card ever produced, it's a family. How appropriate. For if we go back in time, back, back, back in time, we would find that Christmas has always been a family affair. Christmas is a celebration of family life. This is certainly what God intended it when he sent his son to the earth. God identifies himself as a family unit. He sent his son, John, to join a family on earth. Now realize this, Christmas, the Christmas story predates God uh, overshadowing the virgin's womb of, maiden, of a maiden named Mary. Begins before the child is born, laid in a manger. Shepherds and wise men come much later. Christmas really starts in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 5. You don't need to turn there. We'll put it on the screen. But the writer of the book of Hebrews says this, For to which of you of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Let me give you a background on, on uh, the book of Hebrews. Hebrews was written to Jewish readers, and it's an explanation of the preeminence of Jesus Christ. Jews were proud of their religion, yet the book of Hebrews explains how Jesus is better than Moses, better than the Levitical priest, better than the law, better than their sacrifices, better than the temple. Jesus overshadows all the institutions of Judaism. And Hebrews chapter 1 explains the Son of God's superiority over the angels of God. Jesus is even better than the angels. Now, in Judaism, angels were highly revered since they dwelt in God's presence in heaven. They were envied by men on earth. Angels had access to God's glory. Uh, the Jews really considered angels to be heroes. Angels were active in God's dealing with mankind. The Hebrew people practically worshipped angels. Yet here in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 5, we learn that angels are and always have been considered servants. On the other hand, Jesus Christ is God's only begotten Son. The angels are merely hired hands, whereas Jesus sits enthroned at God's right hand. See, Hebrews chapter 1 takes us back in time before the first Christmas. The author quotes Psalm chapter 2 verse 7, a prediction of God's coming king, one who will reign from Israel. Psalm 2 7 says, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. He also quotes Second Samuel seven fourteen: I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. 
See, Jesus is no mere servant of God. He's far greater than an angel or messenger. Jesus is God in the flesh. And Jesus' high priestly prayer, we understand this in John 17, 5, And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Before the world was, Jesus uh, began uh, again because Jesus is, is God in, in the flesh. It's interesting that even today, when the Jews come together in their synagogue for their Sabbath or their feast, they quote what's called the great uh, Shema, Deuteronomy 6.4. Says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That really does sum up the Jewish faith. There is but one God. And Christianity also agrees with that. There is only one God. But the Shema itself reveals deeper truths about God. For that word translated one is a word, Ichad, which speaks not of the absolute unity, but a compound unity. When the rabbis explained that word, echad, they would hold up a fist and they would point out that there's, there's a fist with five distinct fingers. It's, it's unity with the multiple components. Now this is how God also speaks of himself in Genesis 1.26. When God created man, we're told that God said, Let, let's make man in our image according to our likeness. God uses the plural pronouns of himself. He speaks of us and our. When God speaks of himself, he does so as a plurality. All throughout the scriptures, God is one, but he exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. That's the triune nature of God, or what we refer to as the Trinity. Yet here's the point I'm making. From the very beginning, God chose to define his very nature in terms of the family. Of the family. God is the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit. The first member of the Trinity uh, assumes the role of the Father. The Father then calls the second member of the Trinity His Son. And God states there in Hebrews, I will be to Him a Father, and He shall be to me a Son. Now, here's a fascinating thought to think about. The eternal nature of God is like a family. So is it any wonder when God created the first man that He put him in a family? Adam was created, then Eve, then we're told that they were told to be fruitful and to multiply. Which reminds me of a joke. Do you know what Adam and Eve were doing after God kicked them out of the Garden of Eden? They were raising Cain. That's a, a dad joke, okay. But you know what? Adam and Eve, and Eve got to work on their family. The first institution, the first community structure that God established on earth wasn't a government, it wasn't a school, it wasn't a city hall, it wasn't a temple, it wasn't even a church. It was a family. That's why family life is so sacred. That's why God honors one man and one woman coming together in the bonds of marriage as he intended it to be. Not because I say so or you say so, but because he says so. Now this brings us to Christmas. When it came time for the holy sinless, almighty, all-knowing God to join the human race, he could have just appeared at 30 years old. Says, I'm here, here's my ministry. But instead, he chose to be born into a family. He was birthed into a family of one man and one woman, united together in the bonds of marriage. I know we talk about this time of year, Jesus being born in Bethlehem, or being born in a stable, or in a manger. But here's the best answer to the question, where was Jesus born? He was born into a family. God chose the family of Mary and Joseph to rear his son. And that's what I want to look at this morning. If we're going to take notes, we're going to look at three things concerning Jesus' earthly 
family. Number one, we're going to see some unusual relatives. Number two, some incredible parents. And number three, an unlikely birthplace. Number one, some unusual relatives. Well, that takes us to Luke chapter one. The story begins of an elderly couple, the husband who was a priest and, and had a wife who was barren, uh, past the age of childbearing. Priest named Zacharias, his wife Elizabeth, and their soon-to-be-born son John, who would be the cousin of Jesus. Now, every direct descendant of Aaron was automatically a priest. And these priests were divided into 24 divisions, a thousand priests each, or 24,000 men. That meant that for all ordinary purposes, there are far too many priests. Especially when you consider that they celebrated, the, you know, just a big three, Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacle. That's the only time some of these priests would serve. For the rest of the year, each division served only two periods of one week, each as every morning and evening sacrifices were made for the nation. As well as before the morning sacrifice and after the evening sacrifice, they would burn incense upon the altar. That was it. Now to make it even smaller, within each section of the priest, all of their duties were allotted by lot. You know, kind of like a, a roll of the dice. It was quite possible that, that although you're a descendant of Aaron, although you were a priest, you may never get the opportunity or the privilege of burning incense uh, at all in your life time of service. But God is amazing that he blesses this family not only with the opportunity to serve in the temple, but with an opportunity to do so much more. Look at verses 10 through 22 of Luke chapter 1. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless." This is awesome, God, Zacharias may have thought. I finally get to serve you in the temple. I finally get to light the incense. This is going to be great. And suddenly this angel appears to him and says, Hey, a baby's coming. (laughs) Say what? A baby? No way. I'm too old. And to put it kindly, uh, my wife is well advanced in years. (laughs) Nice way of saying, she's old too. Then Gabriel says, Excuse me. Do you know who you're talking to in verse 19? I'm Gabriel who stands in the presence of God, but because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place. What a bummer. I mean, could you imagine getting the surprise of a lifetime and not being able to communicate it to anyone? 
I mean, no doubt by now the people on the outside are wondering what's taken Zechariah so long. How come he hasn't come out yet? Man, he's been in there a long time. He comes walking out and they're waiting to hear what he has to say. He motions the people to come over. He gets ready to speak and nothing comes out. He can't talk. You know, it's like being in a choir and having your, your solo moment and you go to sing and nothing comes out. A priest, they live for this moment. They would go and they would burn the incense and it would come out and they would bless the people. Zacharias' big moment and nothing. Not what Zachariah had planned. So he rushes home and finds out that his wife was indeed pregnant and somehow he was able to communicate to her what had happened. Now jump down uh, ahead nine months and eight days down to verse 59 of Luke chapter 1. Baby's been born. We read in verse 59. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. His mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. But they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father what he would have him called. And he asked him for a writing tablet and wrote saying, His name is John. So they all marveled. I like this. We see this old couple filled with joy as they embrace God's plan for their family. I can't help but reading this and and really appreciate God's timing, God's sense of timing. Maybe you've been wanting a child and it's not happening. Or maybe it's some other big opportunity you were hoping to take place and, and you think that it was going to be the best thing for you. This new job is going to be the best thing if I just have this or if I just have this, this new house and it's not happening. It could be that God has got a better plan for you. Plans that may surprise you. Plans that, that maybe don't include children. Plans that maybe don't include a new job. Plans that maybe don't include a new house. Plans that maybe do include children. Plans that maybe include twins. I, I don't know. But they're still great because they're God's plan for you. We all know Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Zechariah and Elizabeth were blessed to be a part of this family, to have a son named John, of whom Jesus said in Matthew eleven eleven, Assuredly I say to you, among those born of a woman, there is not risen one greater than John the Baptist. Why did he say that? Because John would be the one to announce Jesus' arrival to the world. God uses family to announce Jesus' arrival into the world. Where John would say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What a privilege. What a family. Next we move to point number two. Some incredible parents. We know them by the name of Joseph and Mary. Joseph, a simple carpenter. Mary, a young girl betrothed to be married. They live really in the armpit of Israel. They live in, in Nazareth. John 1.46, uh, Philip told Nathaniel when he found the Messiah that, that he's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel's reaction was, can anything good come from Nazareth? See, it's very unlikely that, that, uh, that the Messiah could come from Nazareth, but it's very unlikely that anything good could come from there either. But God has got other plans for this family. This young, godly girl named Mary also gets a special visit by the angel Gabriel. She's been told that she's been chosen by God to give birth to the Messiah and that God himself would be the father of this baby. She would be supernaturally impregnated. 
The angel explained how the power of the Most High will come upon her so that the Holy One would be, be born and known as a, the Son of God. Now Mary, unlike Zacharias, believed. Believed the angel. She accepted his word. And, and in sweet surrender she, surrender, she says this in verse 38 and 39 of Luke chapter 1. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angels departed from her. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to the city of Judah. Mary abandons herself to the will of God. Said, let your will be done. And as a, rejoice, as a result, joy filled her heart. Mary never claimed anything for herself. And sadly, some have wrongly selected her as an object of worship. Some have uh, said that she's uh, been chosen to for, forgive sins, a co-redeemer with her son. You know, I'm sure that would break her heart if she knew that. To those that would claim that there's only salvation or there's salvation through Mary, I would challenge you to take a look at Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Because it's there, speaking of Jesus, the chief cornerstone, where it says, For there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name but Jesus can you be saved. In fact, Mary also recognized her need for a Savior. Look at verse 46 to 49 in Luke chapter 1. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior, for he's regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Now some people have a problem with God because they say, well, how can there be a virgin birth? Come on. But you see, the, the, the problem, the truth is the problem is not with God, it's with their concept of God. See, after the angel explained to Mary that she would conceive a son, the angel reminded her in Luke chapter 1 verse 37, for with God nothing is impossible. So we really shouldn't have any problem when we read in Scripture about what God can do because with God nothing is impossible. If you can believe the very first verse in the Bible, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, then you should have no problem with the rest of Scripture. Now understand, when you're married, when it comes to God's will and God's plan, He has a plan for you as a family unit. And oftentimes, he will reveal the same thing to your wife that he's revealed, that he will reveal to the husband. And this reminds me of many years ago before uh, we were in full-time ministry. One evening I was home reading my Bible and, and the Lord really spoke to me about Jeremiah 33, 3. Call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you do not know. And I wrote that verse down. And it just really speaks to my heart. And I put it on the refrigerator with a magnet and I thought, man, I just, I'll have to tell Lisa that in the morning. While I get up in the morning, and, and Lisa's already been up, she's already been reading her Bible, she says, come here, Tom, come here, Tom, I want to show you something. The Lord gave me this verse, I wrote it down, you need to see this verse. Jeremiah 33, 3, call on me, I'll answer you and show you great and mighty things that you, you don't even know. I said, look at the refrigerator. God gave me that same verse. See, God was showing both of us as a family, He has plans for us. He's going to use us in, in, in a place that we have no clue. And God performed that. See, when it comes to being married and God's will and God's plans, He has plans for you as a, as a family unit. And here God's about to reveal to Joseph details about His soon-to-be family. But before He does, you know, Mary's going to tell him what happened first. Can you imagine that? Mary coming up to Joseph and saying, uh, Listen, Joe, Joey, love of my life. Uh, uh, I, I, there's this angel, and, and he like said, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm pregnant. 
And well, you know, it's weird, but but it's going to be like this supernatural occurrence and I'm going to be the mother of the Messiah. Maybe said it really fast. Could you imagine Joseph's reaction? What? Are you crazy? I'm sure Mary, uh, Joseph might have thought that, that Mary lost her mind. No doubt, you know, he was unnerved as God would stretch him and take Joseph out of that comfort zone. I think for Joseph, it was a little more uh, difficult accepting the, those news. The announcement really nearly ended their engagement. Because in their culture, in their day, it was different than the way marriage is in our culture in our day. To uh, Their day, it was made by arrangement, prearranged marriages. You know, if you had a five-year-old little boy and that, your neighbor had a five-year-old little girl and, and, and you saw them and the parents would arrange that marriage, you'd be considered engaged, you know, even if you're only five. Can you imagine pointing across the room and in class teasing your buddy, hey, your mom arranged you to be with Billy. <laughs> yeah, but you got to be with Margaret. Yeah, I don't know. But engagements that were made back then were not made to be broken. They were binding. And then finally, a year before the actual wedding, the couple will enter into this contract period called the espousal. That meant you were totally committed to each other for one year, even though that wedding has not taken place yet. So if the groom would die during that time, the wife-to-be would actually be considered a widow. It was a complete binding contract between two people. To break that contract, you would actually have to obtain a certificate of divorce. And it was during this time period that the angel visited Mary and brought her this astounding news. Now, for Joseph, you can imagine him getting these news. Uh, Mary says, honey, I'm pregnant. This is a problem from Joseph. Joseph knew that, that he had remained pure. There could only be one conclusion. Mary had been with another man during this period. So now what is Joseph supposed to do? It's a family crisis. It's a family crisis. Have you ever had a family crisis without having all of the facts? I think we all have. Really easy to jump to conclusions and respond in ways that we shouldn't. Like, I can't believe that. Well, yeah, I heard this is what happened. No! How could that? Well, if that happened, this is going to happen. We, uh, year, uh, last year, a couple of years ago, we, we went on vacation and we actually overreacted in the situation. And wherever we do, we like to liken it to a game of Jeopardy. <laughs> I'll take overreaction for a thousand for Alex, you know, and, and we would, you know, we kind of make a joke of it, but we realize there are things that we just overreact to. It's real easy to jump to conclusions and respond in ways we shouldn't. Listen, when I find myself overreacting to the little things in life, it's usually because I'm not interacting with my father like I should be. I'm not spending as close a time with him as I should. Isaiah 26, 3 tells us, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Joseph's problem was the law demanded that if Mary committed adultery, she should be stoned to death. Joseph didn't want to do that. Yet he still felt betrayed. What should he do? Listen, God had it all worked out. Look what happens with Joseph. This is in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. You don't need to turn there. I'll put it up on the screen. But while he thought about these things, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth the Son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now Joseph, in full obedience and faith, we read in verse 24, Joseph, being aroused from the sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took to him his wife. See, Mary and Joseph both 
when facing problems, acted in faith, and God did the impossible. He both came, uh, he came to both of them and revealed his will for their lives as a family. Again, whatever you may be going through as a family, I say resolve it as a family. Seek the Lord. Pray. Communicate your heart to each other and to the Lord. And as you seek the Lord, He will show you what's best for your family. God will reveal that to you. You see, Mary and Joseph are now on the same page. They know God is about to do this great work. And all they know at this point is to wait and see what the the Lord's going to do. Wait for the child to be born. They're living in Nazareth. But see, that's the problem. They live in Nazareth. Again, the Bible says that the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem. Now, it's clear, I think, that they didn't realize this. They were content to stay in Nazareth, but God had other plans for this family. So what did he do? Well, there's this puffed-up, power-hungry emperor named Caesar Augustus. He comes on the scene, and this man was given the name Caesar, but he was actually born Caius Octavianus. He adopted the name Caesar after his great-uncle Julius Caesar and after gaining control as, as being the emperor of Rome. So he felt he needed to have a title. And, and then some suggested king of Rome, but he vetoed that. Some thought, well, he should be called dictator. And he said he didn't like that because it sounded too uh, temporary. Finally, the Roman uh, Senate came up with the word Augustus, which is Latin for the uh, word uh, of the gods. You'll know, get used to that title. From that point on, it was generally accepted that the Roman emperor was some sort of deity. And in fact, it was uh, people were forced to confess that Caesar was Lord or face a penalty of death. Caesar, he ruled with an iron fist. Under his rule, the Roman troops had smashed any resistance and bludgeoned the whole world into submission. You know, we sing, it's the most wonderful time of the year, but for Mary and Joseph, it really wasn't. This was a horrific time in the history of the world. Caesar's calling the census. Why? Because he wants to tax, wants more money, so he wants to issue a tax on the world. A world tax. What a great idea. The decree goes out, all the world should be taxed. If, if uh, according to the command, everyone would have to go to the town of their birth to pay the taxes. Now, when this happens, I wonder what's going on in the mind of Mary and Joseph. Maybe Joseph is going, you know, my wife, she's nine months pregnant. Lord, what are we going to do? It's 80 miles from here to, to Bethlehem. I mean, 80 miles for us is no big deal. It's down to Branson and back. We can do it about an hour and a half. But back then, they walked everywhere. And 80 miles on foot when your wife is nine months pregnant is not a pretty picture. And yet here they are traveling at this critical time just to satisfy the whim of this pompous little man in Rome. But isn't that how it is for us from time to time? As soon as we get through one trial, one difficult situation, as soon as we're going, man, I'm glad that's over. All of a sudden, something else comes up. I mean, how do you handle it? I wonder if Joseph felt forsaken. I wonder if he kind of grumbled a little bit on his road to Bethlehem. Lord, what is going on here? Maybe kicking the dirt a little bit. A dirt a little bit. I thought we had this all planned out. This is not making any sense. Mary should be home resting and instead of we're, we're making this trip. Now, in human eyes, from a human standpoint, this was not what Joseph had planned. But in God's eyes, it's exactly what God had planned. Even though it looked like Caesar was pulling the strings, what Joseph perhaps didn't realize was it was really God who had had to, had to hold the strings on Caesar Augustus. This little Caesar, who, by the way, doesn't even make good pizza, <laughs> or salad dressings, who thinks he's a god, puny god at that, 
was nothing more than a puppet in the hands of the true and living mighty God. See, God had other plans, and his plans would certainly be another surprise for Mary and Joseph. And what we can learn from Zacharias and Elizabeth and what we can learn from Joseph and Mary is that when family problems look huge, God is bigger. And he knows what he's doing within our family relationships. We may not always see the big picture, but God moves in ways and works in ways that he wants to accomplish his plan within our lives. What's best for you and your family? Now this brings us to point number three, our final point, an unlikely birthplace. Turn over a page to Luke chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. And speaking to the shepherds, the angels appeared to, to them, and it says in verse 12, And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. I mean, what an unlikely birthplace for this baby, a manger. Now we have these beautiful pictures, these beautiful nativity scenes, but they really haven't captured what they really were like. It was literally a hole in the wall, a cave. And the angel says, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. One man tells a story about how every Christmas morning, when his kids were little, he would read them the nativity story out of their big family Bible. He said, when my son was old enough to talk, he asked me what a stable was. I thought for a moment how to explain it to him in terms he could understand. Then I simply told him, it's something like your brother's room, only without a stereo. You know, if you go to a, a Christmas party this time of year, often they'll do the, you know, the, well, the, the, the white elephant jokes, or I think they call it uh, gifts, or the, the dirty Santa gifts, I don't know. I'm not sure where the name comes from, but I know what it means. A white elephant is, is a gag gift. It's a second or third rate gift, a dollar store reject, a, a pink flamingo, you know, maybe a coffee mug with a smiley face on it or something bizarre like I recently received a, a piece of wood trim molding from a kitchen that's being remodeled. Now what's interesting about a white elephant gift is that they're usually wrapped up in this really, really nice package on the outside. It looks so great. In fact, this trim piece of molding that I received was, was wrapped in a 65-inch television screen box. I thought, oh, this is great. Oh, this is awesome. You know? And, and, and what's interesting is God does the opposite. He sends the greatest gift to mankind the world has ever witnessed, his son, uh, to be born as a baby in a stable, a cave, to be the Savior. The packaging was poor. Born in a stable, wrapped in swaddling clothes, but the symbolism is perfect. A stable is a perfect picture of our lives before Christ, messy and smelly because of sin. But when Jesus comes into that messy, smelly place, it becomes holy. Now the shepherds you know, came in and they don't see the mess, they see the Savior. They don't smell the stench, instead they smell the sweetness of God's grace. Does that happen in your home? When families come, especially at Christmas time, do they, do they, they, they don't see the mess, but they see the Savior. They don't smell the stench, but they smell the sweetness of God's grace. That's what happens when Jesus is allowed into the stable of our hearts. We become holy by the fragrance of God's grace. Jesus came to clean up the mess, to turn the stink of our lives into that which smells sweet. Again, from our perspective, God's ways often don't make sense. But from his vantage points, they make perfect sense. I mean, think about it. For Mary and Joseph, what else could they do? It was out of their hands. 
You know, when it comes to, to, to family and the trials that we all face, when you've prayed and when you've sought the Lord and you've looked to His Word and when the situation doesn't turn out, doesn't change, there's really nothing more you can do except to continue to trust in the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Trust in His sovereignty. Trust in the knowledge that God knows what He's doing. See, oftentimes we think of, of the family of Joseph and Mary and we say, well, they were the perfect family. Surely God wouldn't send His sinless son into a flawed family. He, he picked a choice couple with a perfect marriage. And we picture Mary and Joseph sharing this peaceful, calm life together, never having any problems or any trials. Listen, they had hang-ups. They had issues. One time they, they left their son in the city behind him and didn't even know it. They had struggles, just like the rest of us. At the time, Mary was just a little girl. Joseph was a construction worker. Don't you think their hearts were filled with apprehension and fear and worry and doubt? They had no idea what they were doing. I mean, if you think that Jesus was born into a family that had it all together, let me suggest you need to think again. Joseph and Mary were taken back from the event that, that caught them off guard. And it changed their lives forever. From day one, they were put in situations that were totally out of their control and they had to work through them. I mean, imagine again getting the news your betrothed wife is pregnant. Had they come into to counseling for me, I would have said, man, slow down. You know, two wrongs don't make a right. You know, we need to counsel together. Maybe if they would have sought their parents, they would, the parents would have said, you need to split up. Understand, the Christmas miracle begins with a troubled relationship. A husband and a betrothed wife who are struggling to even stay together. Joseph was contemplating his exit strategy. He could have had Mary stoned or just sent to her nearby city and let her start all over again. I don't care how much you dislike your spouse. I don't think you've ever considered stoning them. You know, for, for a long while, Joseph particularly had to work through some serious trust issues. Did he really buy into the angel's explanation? He was trapped between believing the impossible or accepting Mary's infidelity. And that just began a list of a lot of challenges. I mean, here was a relationship where at first his wife was listening to God while her husband really wasn't. This was a marriage that started out with an unplanned pregnancy and all the problems that can cause. Joseph and Mary were stressed out, forced to make a trip from home, uh, to home rather, for the holidays. And obviously Joseph had lousy health insurance because <laughs> Jesus was born in a barn. In fact, I read someone say the reason Jesus was born in a stable was because Joseph couldn't afford health insurance. But I'm sure, you know, they had budget problems, you know. I don't know how much swaddling cloths cost, you know. And on top of that, the family was forced to, to, to exodus to Egypt. A relocation during a, 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 causes upheaval in their lives. It was obvious that Jesus' family had a rough start. I mean, think it through and you'll agree Jesus was born into a family facing many of the same struggles you and I and families today face. Why? To show us that God loves a family and that there is no perfect families, only a perfect God. I love what one pastor's thought. He calls it Christmas is about family. He puts it this way. It was into a family, a man and a woman, not yet intimate, but already betrothed and legally committed, that the Holy Spirit worked a miracle of conception. It was a family, not a military escort, that took the rigorous road trip from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. It was a family, not a mass unit of doctors, that camped out in a stable and oversaw the baby's birth. And it was a family, not a royal court, that the shepherds found when they came to see the king. 
Two years later, it was a family to whom the wise men handed gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The institution of the family should be forever ennobled and exalted and dignified and glorified if for no other reason that Jesus was born into a family. End quote. This means if you have a family, and we all do, you should pay careful attention to it, especially this Christmas. Even if your family has been brought through some tough times lately, don't give up on your family. Don't neglect, don't ignore even a dysfunctional family. When Jesus came into this world, he came to be a part of a family. And I believe Jesus still targets, targets families today. He wants to work in your family this Christmas. Remember, Jesus just doesn't love families in general. He loves your family specifically. Yeah, Mary and Joseph didn't have the perfect marriage, yet Jesus, the one greater than the angels, still graced their family with his presence. The very first Christmas, the Son of God chose to join a very, very imperfect family. That's why there's hope for your family this Christmas, for my family. Families that may be struggling. In the heart of your house, there might be strife and anger and worry and friction. Perhaps your family's on the ropes. Maybe it's down for the count. Maybe there's a lack of trust between members. Or, or you're, you know, you're hearing from God, but no one else is. Maybe there's an unexpected pregnancy or some unexpected circumstance. Kind of heated up the pressure cooker in your life. You're searching for direction. Maybe it's going to be a trip home. Maybe a visit from your in-laws that you, you're stressed out. Maybe it's a lack of income. Maybe it's a lack of health insurance. Or the kids are just a problem. You realize diaper costs far more than swaddling cloths. And why on earth does your husband want to chase his dream and move to Egypt? I mean, you're just now meeting a few of your neighbors in Bethlehem. It reminds me of a, the husband and wife who were in the midst of a squabble, an argument. They wanted to buy a new vehicle for Christmas. He wanted a heavy-duty truck. Well, she had her eyes on this fancy new sports car. They argued for days over the decision. Finally, the wife laid down the ultimatum. If I don't get something that goes from zero to 200 in seven seconds, you're going to experience a very lonely Christmas. Well, the husband rose up. He didn't like her attitude. So on Christmas morning, there it was, wrapped in a bright yellow ribbon, a new bathroom scale. Funeral arrangements for the husband are still pending. <laughs> if there's friction in your family this holiday season, be it husband and wife, parent and child, whatever you do, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't anybody give up. Even if your family feels like it's falling apart faster than unwrapping Christmas presents on Christmas morning, listen, there's good tidings of great joy. Jesus wants to be a part of your family. The Holy Spirit wants to overshadow you and yours and work a miracle in your midst. He wants to spread goodwill towards men and bring peace on earth and He wants to start in your family. Listen, as we close, when your family gathers together this Christmas, remember Jesus is looking for an entry into your family. The first Christmas is all about Jesus joining a family and every Christmas since. Jesus has been looking for families who will open up and invite Him in. Let this be the year that you open the door. You be the one that shares the love of Jesus with them. You be the one who believes that Jesus loves your family and will work a healing that your family needs. Remember over the next few days that your family is just a prayer away from Jesus working a Christmas miracle in the people in the lives that you love. I'll close with this. We speak a lot about joy at Christmas time and yet the only real joy comes from knowing Jesus Christ. Our joy is not found in circumstances, not found in things, 
Our joy is not found in any earthly relationship. Joy is found in Jesus Christ alone. A joy that overflows. There is joy in knowing Jesus. You say, well, well, why is there joy in knowing Jesus? John 3.36 He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Luke 2.10 and 11 the, the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The reason we can have joy is because there is our Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. Christmas means your sin can be forgiven. It means I can have joy, everlasting joy, everlasting life. Life that, that is not just here on this earth, but, but, but abundant life on this earth. And eternity in heaven. And it comes from knowing God, knowing my sins are forgiven, and having that joy of eternity in your heart right now. And if you don't have that relationship with the Lord, as soon as service is over, the, the, the elders of this church are up front. We'd love to pray with you and give you a Bible. And, and, and you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, don't wait another day. Come be a part of the family of God. Get your sin forgiven and be born again this morning. As soon as service is over, come up front. Talk to one of us. Talk to me. I'll, I'll give you a Bible. I'll pray with you. Let's know what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Guys, have a blessed Christmas this year. Put the Lord first in all that we do. And God will be glorified. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. I do pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that is uh, yet to surrender their heart and life to you, Lord. They're not born again. Their, their sin is not forgiven. They're not a part of the family of God. Lord, would you especially touch their heart this morning. That you would open their eyes and see, Lord, that there can be no true joy. There can be no happiness. There can be nothing apart from you. Lord, and for those of us that know you, we thank you. We thank you that we're, uh, we're part of something bigger than just our, our, an earthly family, Lord. We have uh, our, our Christian brothers and sisters. And Lord, we are so blessed by that. Help us to be encouragers. Help us to be praying for one another. Father, I do pray for our family get-togethers. As those that come and visit that perhaps don't know you, Lord, that you would give us the boldness by your Holy Spirit to share with them the hope that they can have if they surrender their heart and life to your Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, thank you for dying for us, rising again from the dead. Lord, help us to walk in that newness of life as we spend this Christmas, Lord, as families. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand and we'll do one last song again.